This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. I'm super excited to be introducing this episode. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and had a chat with the lovely Lil O'Brien, and it was a really soul-enriching and nourishing corridor that we had about vulnerability and coming out and relationships and boundaries and um, you know regardless of who you are and and how you identify I think there are some there are lots of um, golden nuggets in here but a little more about Lil before we get into the chat Um, so Lil is an award-winning copywriter um, and Uh, author as well her first book not that I'd kiss a girl is a memoir about her coming out experience in the early 2000s um and you know this book which we do reference a lot um in the conversation that you're about to hear uh she accidentally outed herself to her parents and kind of um how her life changed after that and kind of coming into her own um sexual identity and um yeah if you haven't read the book I'd absolutely recommend it um but also you know other than talking about the book I think my key takeaways from this uh episode were her thoughts and uh takeaways on the power of vulnerability um I think vulnerability not only is a value but it also is a skill and it's a skill that I think that we don't actively encourage we're we're getting better and we're getting there but like vulnerability as a skill I I think we're not quite there with actively encouraging it and encouraging people to develop it um and in a safe in a safe manner too and the insight that Lil provides into vulnerability um in this episode is amazing and also um the you know strength to live your authentic life and how to really love yourself um and put boundaries up to protect yourself uh it is a difficult life lesson I think especially for someone like me who is like is such a people pleaser um but Lil's insights on boundaries and you know loving yourself genuinely and truly was so refreshing and insightful um and that really hit home for me when I was having a chat with her and as someone who isn't part of the queer community, um, hearing Lil's insights into the coming out experience was also really interesting and eye-opening as well. So um, enjoy, 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 enjoy. Go get a cup of tea and enjoy the corridor ahead. Kia ora, Lil. Thank you so much for hopping into the space and being open to have a corridor with me. Um, before we get stuck into the corridor, I was actually wondering if you could introduce yourself um, in whatever way feels comfortable to you. Who are you, Lil, and what people, <laughs> communities and lands are important to you? Oh, Kia ora. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Um, 
I am Lilo Bryan. I, um, I guess most recently was the author of a book called Not That I'd Kiss a Girl, which is a memoir about my years um, trying to figure out my sexuality, um, which was kind of set in the early noughties in the South Island mostly, around Christchurch and um, Otago University. So I'm from Christchurch originally, although I can't say that I feel a great connection to the city. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so and now I live in Auckland. I uh, work as a as a freelance copywriter and um, do lots of fun kind of writing projects on the side um, with lots of other great people. I'm currently doing um, an anthology of essays with um, women from around Aotearoa um, about the topic of what's called otherhood, um, about um, the experiences of women who aren't mothers or are on the margins of motherhood. So that's kind of like Ooh. my new project, um, which is cool. Um, and hopefully also doing some cool new things with Not That I Kiss a Girl and other formats. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of me keeping busy with my, um, you know, that they call it the sex and the cash theory. So the, <laughs> the sex being the fun stuff you do on the side and the cash being the, the things that keep that pay the bills um but I will say that I do I do enjoy my my cash as well as the as well as the sex shops that's a very strange introduction but that's that's me I love the way of winning that we all need a good balance of sex and cash hey yeah yeah exactly need a bit of both oh. for sure um, and before we get really deep into the conversation, I'd love to get to know you a little bit more with some quick fire questions as well. Sure. So, Lou, you're at a party, the DJ plays blank, and you are instantly on the dance floor. What is that song? Oh, I think I'm, what came to mind was Dancing on My Own by Robin. Um, oh, yeah, just a always song. a banger. And, but then I also think um, I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Um, I think basically I'm a very literal person, so if there's dance in the t song title, I'm like, okay, it's, it's time. It's a good cue. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my gosh, especially the dancing on my own. There is something about that song that just yeah. gets everyone singing. Yeah, that it's is just that beat, choice. isn't it? It's just such a good beat. Just want to kind of do crazy dance moves. and yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Literally, like no one's watching. I love that. Yeah. Um, what are you currently unlearning? Oh, um, I feel like I am always unlearning being quite critical, unthinkingly. Um, it's something that I grew up with in my family, with a quite a quite a critical family, just offhand comments. And I feel like, although I work really hard to not be like that, um, I think that when I'm tired or stressed, that it kind of still comes out where I kind of just make, I just kind of like focus on little things that don't really matter. So I think that's probably a, a big kind of lifetime journey there. Um, and then I guess more recently, um, I think since um, Not That I'd Kiss a Girl came out, which covers a lot of stuff about my family, um, and that caused rather a stir. Uh, um, since then, you know, I've gone, I've done a lot of work and for them um, with uh, kind of working out how to set boundaries um, with my family and to um, kind of not always um, have to, to let them have their emotions at me, you know, to be allowed to kind of step outside of that and say, look, I just, that's nothing to do with me. Um, so that's kind of my, my most recent challenge that I've been working quite hard on. 
Oh, I when I was reading your book, and I, I'm sure we'll get into it later into the conversation as well, but when I was reading your book, I was like, this is so raw and so vulnerable. Um, yeah, I did wonder, I wonder what how Lil like has looked after herself and even to this point, um, because the book came out in 2020, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, even though that was a couple of years ago now, oh, it feels weird saying that. You know, you <laughs> still have to practice you'd still have to practice those boundaries. And so I'd love to get into that more with you. But that's um, really yeah, interesting sure. that you've brought that up. Mm. Um, next one, what is your favourite meal from childhood? Oh, um, my mum used to make like a kind of creamy chicken pasta with like lots of cream and parmesan and just like all the good stuff, butter and things. And I think that's kind of like my, my go-to for like the comfort food, just something like very carb heavy very you know cheesy something like that amen i i had a meal like that on friday and i was like this is actually exactly what i needed my body and my soul needed yeah. this so much yeah you're so right you can't <laughs> go wrong with carbs cream and cheese yeah yeah Classic. just throw it all together it will come out okay exactly <laughs> and final quick fire question is what are you grateful for at the moment um, well, I'm really grateful definitely for like opportunities like this, for example, the podcast, like getting to like chat to new people and just like lots of opportunities have kind of come my way since I um, published the book. Um, like I've got to do lots of things that like speak at festivals and podcasts and things like that, that um, I always kind of thought, you know, maybe I've got some things to say about some things, but it took a lot of kind of hard work to um I think I had to kind of put myself out there for then things to come back to me. So that's been something that's been really rewarding over the last couple of years. Um, and also having a partner um, who is like super supportive and just kind of like my biggest cheerleader and kind of takes the heat off me when, you know, we, we look after each other a lot. That's been really nice as well. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> that is so sweet. I love love and then so for you to say that that is just really sweet um you do have and, a big grin on your face yeah. <laughs> it's just really sweet and um I I think it's amazing that you have all these opportunities to speak because reading your book I was like oh my gosh these are stories that we need to we need to talk about more like I've just recently finished reading um your book and yeah so amazing one of my top reads for this year oh, and while I was reading it made me realize um how we don't actually hear a lot of stories of queer voices specifically here in Aotearoa like mm. you were talking about these experiences and these places like I went to Otago as well and so to hear you talk about these places and these experiences that we've kind of shared but to view it from a completely different angle and a lived experience it just made me realize oh my gosh we actually we don't honor stories like that enough and so I mm. yes I'm really really grateful that you're um here to talk with me today but um how have you felt since putting your baby out into the world maybe let's begin there <laughs> <laughs> um just like super proud to be honest like um Heck yeah it's yeah it was like it took me seven years to write it um and that was because you know like I started when I was in my 20s and I guess I didn't really take it seriously I was just like started with a laundry list of of, of bad things that my parents 
connected to me, I think, like a bratty kind of 20-something-year-old. And then um, and then was like, no, 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 no. I could never publish this, even if I could even if I could finish the book, you know, I could never do this because it would absolutely blow up the family. Um, so I think just getting to the point of publishing it and then I had to push through some, um, uh, so that, you know, my family weren't happy about me publishing and they actively tried to stop me publishing it. So um, to get to the point of publishing it was just, uh, yeah, I was really proud of that. Um, it was also a time of extreme stress um, for me because it was kind of, you know, I come from a family where we didn't talk about things um, and we certainly didn't talk about my sexuality and we didn't talk, you know, we hadn't talked about it for many years. So um, the book was like a big kind of grenade thrown into the waters of the family. So, um, yeah, so that so it was just like really rewarding. And um, I think, yeah, I felt kind of a little bit embarrassed as well, just like, you know, people praise you and you feel a little bit like oh oh you know god god come on guys um and you know you kind of go oh look look it's just one story and stuff but um trying to kind of learn to own that you can be proud of something you did while acknowledging that it's not um it's not it's not everything and it's certainly not all that is needed you know oh it sounds like it was you had to go through a lot to be first of all just with internally within yourself to be like yep the story is valid the story is mine and it's worth putting out there and then yeah. to hold on to that while still kind of these external factors with your family I think that's so I'm so grateful that you push through that and, and put it out there because you know I think when we talk about Aotearoa we think you know on the surface very open accepting people lovely and most of the time yes that's true but we actually we're still really conservative and there's still some really mm. ugly bits of our country that I feel like we are scared to talk about and so reading books like yours it's like helping open the lid and helping to facilitate those conversations through storytelling um and yeah. I actually one thing that's kind of popped into my mind one of my other friends she published her um one of her first books ever this year and it was also it was a very personal poetry collection talking about her identity and her experiences um and I think she was so worried when she put it out there that it was her story but once you put it out there it's now other people's stories and yeah. um I think she was like oh my god I, I don't know how to deal with this and I just wondered with because it's so deeply personal it's about you coming to terms with your sexuality have you felt that as well like once you put it out there it's not quite your story anymore and is that a neutral negative or positive thing you think mm. yeah that's right really, I think that's the case with with any book really and you yeah and it's completely like that's kind of any pop culture text really it's it's about how people in, interpret it and they and I want them to make it their own you know like I want I love to imagine that it that it's a book that someone you know puts on their bookshelf or like might pack with them in boxes to, to when they move house because it means something to them or they take it overseas or they biff it across the room because they hate it you know like whatever <laughs> um whatever their their reaction is um you do have to let it let it go and I think even with memoir where it is so personal it's obviously me writing about myself you know um but but kind of when I read that's like it reads like a character to me like even though it is about me and my experiences it is kind of a past version of me um so I think there's definitely a distance that happens there um 
But one of the the best pieces of advice I got from like my first beta reader was um, not to judge your past self um, with your present self. So um, it was quite hard, like quite important writing when I was writing. I always tried to not like cringe, cringe at myself um, or to filter too much of the stupid things I did or the ways that I was like a bit of an asshole or was like super privileged and didn't really um, know it. Like I tried to kind of just um, be quite unflinching about myself as much as I um, and honest about myself as much as I was about any character. And that was quite important to me. Um, and then just in terms of New Zealand, like, yes, we, we definitely need so many more queer stories. Um, and I think there's a little bit of a cultural cringe because there are some so many good uh, New Zealand books out there of all kinds that I feel like even until I published a book and met a lot of these authors and stuff, I feel like I didn't really read that many New Zealand books. Um, but when you do start reading New Zealand books and you recognise the locations and, like, the lingo and, you know, just the kind of um, Kiwi mentality, it's, like, so rewarding and fun. Uh, so, yeah, we should definitely get into it more. Amen. Yeah, I think I've always read international authors and I've made it a particular focus of mine to um, read more like New Zealand authors the past couple of years and the connection, the the stories, it just hits home in a different way. Yeah. Um, so I think it's yeah really important that a book like yours is out there and what you said about not judging your past self I think that's a lesson that regardless of who you are that's a lesson that we always need to be kept reminding of reminded of because who you are has led you exactly to where you are right now um even though there are some things that are a bit hard to swallow or might give you the cringe factor um, yeah. it's really important to accept that um mm. talking about the book I don't want to delve into the details um a huge amount because I want people to go out and read it um <laughs> but would you be able to sketch out some key moments in your life that really shaped who you are today and not necessarily just your um sexual identity but just everything that makes up Bill because we carry so many identities in our one body um mm. and so yeah would you be able to sketch out some key moments in your life that helped shape who you are right now yeah, sure. Um, well, I think we were talking about this before we started recording, but I think um, talking about like the first time you can allow, you can call yourself a, a writer. Um, and I think it's so silly. I think there's like this um, thing where it's like, if you're a published author, somehow you're better than anyone else. But I'm like, I've seen so many fan fictions, you know, I've read so many fan fictions that are so much better than <laughs> published books, you know. Um, so I think, and we were, uh, I think for me, you know, I grew up in a, you know, my sister's a lawyer and my parents were, you know, one was a teacher and one was kind of had his own business and it, we weren't really a creative family as such. Um, and I never really saw myself as a creative person, but, um, but I did always like to kind of, um, observe the world around me and kind of write things down and and I think the, the first thing I ever wrote was I was never very good at creative writing you know like coming out with crazy ideas or you know that was never really what I was into I'm not much of a dreamer um but but I do quite like things based on real life so I guess it makes <laughs> sense that I'd write a memoir but um yeah like I wrote like it I don't know if you, you you might be too young to remember but there used to be these books for like young adults or kids called they were called point thrillers and they were like trashy horror books for like 
10 year olds or whatever and they always they used to have like a like a dagger dripping blood on the cover or something like that. <laughs> is it similar um, vibes to like goosebumps yeah I like remember a, reading lots yeah. of goosebumps yeah it was kind of like a slightly more grown-up version of of goosebumps um yeah and the first thing I ever wrote was called like high school reunion when I was 14 or something and it was a story about everyone all my friends how we're coming back to to school for a high school reunion everyone was getting you know knocked off one by one and and the the culprit was like the head girl or something like that um, <laughs> I love that. so I guess that was creative but it was I think because it was based on real people um but then I obviously just made up a whole lot of stuff about them like one of them, I think, got killed by like a flying toenail clipping or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess that I always was creative, but I, but I, but I, I, I felt like the way I, I thought you had to be creative in, in a writer was, was um, in a certain way. You know, you do your creative writing. Um, it wasn't really until I started my advertising job um, when I was twenty-one as a copywriter um, and had a title, I guess, that was junior copywriter. That I was like, oh my god, I guess I'm a I'm a writer now, um, which is funny that I needed that external validation. Um, so I think that was that was the first time that I was like, oh, my God, I can call myself a writer. And that was quite a big thing because from there you can go, well, I can be whatever kind of writer I want to be um, and explore. Um, I think the other thing that I'll just touch on that I, that I feel like we understand so much more now that would have really helped me when I was growing up was understanding extroversion and introversion um because yeah I just used to as a kid get so exhausted by you know by other people and at school or even my family and needed so much alone time and loved reading a book and I don't feel like we really we didn't have the language around it back then in the, like the 90s and even the early 2000s perhaps um so I think kind of yeah when now that that's kind of pretty common thing to talk about being an introvert or an extrovert it really but it helped me to reframe a lot of experiences that I'd had like why did everyone else like love going to the races all day and drinking all day and I would be like this is my worst nightmare and and things like that um and then from there going you know what I think that I I don't actually have to go to this all day hens party or I don't have to go to this all day thing just because that's what's been set up I can recognize that that's not what's good for me and I can go later or, or something like that. So I think that was quite an important thing to it, give myself permission to um, make socialising work around me and also just not feel guilty about having to, because I think I used to think there was something wrong with me because for me when my social battery is drained, it's kind of almost like a heavy weight pressing on my head <laughs> and I just like need to go and collapse into a bed and read a book or something. <laughs> Need a recharge. So was, yeah, so that was really cool. Um that's been yeah really good thing to realize and I I hope that kids kids and young people these days are treated um yeah that it's recognized and that they that they are kind of looked after more those things um and then finally I think you know getting into the into the the gay stuff realizing that I was <laughs> the gay stuff the gay stuff you know just that <laughs> little, little thing um you know I, like I I guess the whole book's kind of about like all those small moments of realisation um, or, or when you've put a, a puzzle piece together and then you look back at something else and go, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, read the book to to, to get some of the, the key moments. But I think one thing that stands, stands out for me was the first time I went to um, a lesbian film at a cinema, um, not just kind of like 
um, waiting till my parents had gone to bed and watch like trying to catch a 12 p.m screening of better than chocolate or something like it was an actually a lesbian film at the cinema when I was at university um in Dunedin and um I went along and I was it was kind of just before when I was still kind of coming out to myself and so going along was a pretty terrifying experience to because it was the first time that I um externally acknowledged by being there that I was not straight um but walking into that room, um, it was extremely intimidating um, to have like a room full of women, which you know you don't really see that often. Um, and on top of that, everyone being queer, um, I think that was I, I just felt kind of like this warmth and this sense of possibility. You know, there was a community here, and that I that I could be part of it because I think coming out for some people can be a very isolating experience, and you do feel like you're in it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a good moment to realize that there was actually a community out there and, and it's still something that I would recommend to anyone, you know, looking, you know, who's uncertain or trying to figure things out is, you know, is to find those moments of community and those people. Mm. Thank you so much for <clears throat> sharing all three of those points. Every single time you brought up each of those three points, I just, I came back to the same point of, Oh my gosh, it's actually so insane how we kind of not live by the status quo, but there's just so many rules, whether it's made explicit or not. Mm. There are so many rules that are set to us. And some some of these rules, yeah, all good. We, we won't have any friction with them, but just the fact that those rules are there, it doesn't always give us the room or the space to explore to redefine or define even if we end up coming to the same conclusion it doesn't always necessarily give us that option for exploration and once Mm. that option for exploration is there you kind of land on what is authentic and true to you um and all those three instances I could see I could see that for you um so thank you for for sharing those three instances (laughs) and just kind of reminding us the power of exploration and having that space for questioning um Mm. that last point you touched upon about coming out um i i would love to kind of explore that more with you um because as someone who isn't part of the queer community and kind of watching from the outside i think i've always just kind of run with the mainstream story that we have been told about coming out and actually I've been unlearning um, that maybe it isn't the best thing for everyone or maybe like why is that why is there that need to come out and I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on what do you think of the concept of coming out Um, Mm. does it need to be reframed is it problematic Um, Mm. I'd love to know um I guess I'll start with an anecdote that um, I met a Caribbean woman um, at like a book club after my book came out and she was talking to me about her culture um, where I guess um, in many ways there there was, you know, possibly less acceptance culturally of queer people and um, she talked about that, she said that they, they talk about not coming out but bringing someone in. Um, so it's actually about who you open that part of yourself to rather than you stepping out into the into the world, um, which I think was an interesting concept. I think it, it made me a little bit sad because it made me think that you had to be cautious 
you know, you let you you open you open the wall a crack and and let people in. But I just thought that was a really interesting reframing um, of of perhaps more um, European ways of thinking about coming out or New Zealand centric ways of thinking about coming out. I'm not sure Western um, perhaps. Um, but yeah, it was quite interesting when I read. Um, you know, you mentioned this question and the word problematic. I guess for me, like coming out is something that's like uh, a very special thing to me. Uh, and and that's partly why I wrote the book, because I felt like there wasn't anything out there that I could find that specifically focused on that coming out period. It was all kind of like it just it skipped over to it skipped too fast through that period um, or it mm-hmm. made it seem like it was just a. Uh, like a momentary thing or like you tell you tell one person and that's done and obviously coming out is is not is not like that um you know not everyone these days does have the big coming out mum dad I'm whatever um but we we do all come out again and again in our lives just through you know um because that's life you know you, you might be in a taxi with your girlfriend and the taxi driver says oh you know you two sisters or what do you you know why are you in town or you know you might be you know like you you have these constant moments as a, as a queer person which I'm sure kind of applies to many other um, people in different situations as well where you have to decide whether you want to come out you know at work or um, just in, in, in interactions with new people um, so I think it's coming out is an inescapable um, and I but I think it's a broader broader concept than perhaps what we think of it as this kind of uh, momentous occasion um and also i think that coming out isn't problematic um i think almost like i I kind of it almost makes me it almost kind of like rubs me up the wrong way a little bit to think of coming out as problematic um just because it feels like something like a judgment on something that is so important to so many queer people not to everyone but um you know, and, and maybe it kind of feels like it's positioning um, coming out as kind of like a symptom of a past oppression um, that we no longer need. Because, I, you know, ideally, right, you know, if queer, queer people were truly accepted, then we then there wouldn't be an assumption of heterosexuality, right? Which mm. that would be amazing and therefore we wouldn't need to come out. But I think we, we still would and I think that would be perhaps also a big loss to, to not have those opportunities because... I think coming out gives you the opportunity to connect with people. You know, it's a, it's a moment where you're saying, here's, here's a piece of, of who I am. Um, and, it, and it often brings out something in the other person as well. You know, it's kind of a moment of, of sharing you know, of yourself. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it's a, like a, it's a celebration. It's a declaration. It's like a claiming of your own power. Um, it comes in many forms. So, you know, I, I guess that, I think maybe we need to re- reframe coming out or perhaps um, not put coming out into a static frame, you know, and say that that's an outdated concept. Maybe we just need to give it room to evolve um, constantly as society evolves. So I think it will always be important and I hope it's always important because it's, um, it's a, I think it's like a really special time. Mm, I love that. Um reframe because uh, yeah you're so right as you're talking about you know it's insane I don't even think about the fact that you would have to continually keep on coming up or coming out sorry there'd be these micro moments of Mm. having to come out again I was reading an interview um that you did for someone else and I was like oh my gosh yeah that's so 
Right. That was, I think that was just in my lived experience and in my ignorance, that was something that was in my blind spot. Because like for me, for example, people know that I'm a Muslim, like I'm wearing a hijab as pretty obvious. And so, but yeah, you're so right. The, the fact of just continually coming out. And I think you're you're right in the sense that there is this rigidity to it. And the fact that even just watching um, queer stories in the media coming out is always shown in one way it's Mm. always the one kind of story and it doesn't make space for the different ways that one can come out um and that's so interesting you sharing the story about the caribbean woman and the concept of actually instead of out letting people Mm. in yeah yeah it's but but i yeah i guess it's coming out can also be exhausting as i'm sure it is for people of all kinds of um marginalized communities or minorities maybe like maybe you know you we have a moment where like you've only had a, a phone call and then you someone sees you for the first time and sees that you have a hijab and, and then they have like a moment of oh you know where it's like and it's it's probably nothing it's probably fine but there just are those constant moments right like my partner and I um we opened the door to um my my stepkids got a, a girlfriend and she came over and her mum came to the house as well and introduced herself mm-hmm. when she dropped her off. And my girlfriend opened the door and then like 30 seconds later, I came to the door and, and the the other mum just had a moment of like, oh, you know, like it's just like a moment where she realised who was like the, the cogs were turning, you know, and it's not necessarily <laughs> a judgment in any way or like, you know, like who knows, like she probably didn't have any prejudice, but it's just a moment where they go, oh, okay, this is different than I expected or, um, yeah. So it's just like there are, there are so many funny moments to do with being queer or being or being assumed to be straight and they're not being. Like, in fact, I do get quite a lot of joy out of some of those moments when, when people realise that I'm not straight, you know. Do you have a favourite story to share from, from that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um no, I can't. I can't think of one. I'll, I'll let you know if I think of one by the end. It's it's mostly just like I think I just like to be a little bit antagonistic and kind of like drop. Um, I think the funniest thing is when like how obvious you can be that straight people don't get it. Like you can be talking about your girlfriend all the time, and they're like, "Oh, her, her friend who's a girl," or 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 you know, you talk about. Sometimes I drop lesbian jokes. Um, and then I go, oh, shit, these people, I haven't actually officially come out to them. So do they just think that I'm making a joke about lesbians? They don't know that I'm actually allowed to make a joke about lesbians because I'm a lesbian, you know? Like, <laughs> I kind of, like, don't really mind putting people on the, on the back foot. I think it's kind of, one of the, yeah, a bit fun. A bit of lighthearted yeah. fun. Yeah, I can see the lighthearted fun. But just goes to show, like, what how we think how default is they or like yeah and you're sorry even if people don't physically see me and they hear me on the phone just because of my voice and my accent because I do sound pretty kiwi it's so funny how people then just make all these assumptions and then when it doesn't match up it's literally like you can see yeah Yeah. the same thing their brain cogs just going whoa okay and you know sometimes it's not even they're prejudiced or there's some ill intent behind it but it just goes to show like how we, we operate off stereotypes and rules or expectations and you know yeah. sometimes they don't always line up to what we think it's going to be yeah um, totally I after I'm gonna make a bit of a segue but after reading your book I honestly was just so blown away 
by the vulnerability um, because it was just so raw and personal. And I would love to know if you have any takeaways or lessons on vulnerability after publishing your book because um, I think ever since our Queen Brene Brown has um, <laughs> entered our sphere, she's really, really brought home this message around the, the relationship between vulnerability and shame and yeah. you know once you kind of have to I call it the Brene effect once you understand that you kind of see it everywhere and just like how much shame blocks people from from mm. getting into those vulnerable spaces um, and it, even if it's people that you've known for years and years and years um, sometimes it doesn't mean that vulnerability always shows up and so I would love to know mm. from you what what have been your takeaways or lessons on vulnerability well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much I can say that, that um, the Queen Brene Brown has not said. Like, I definitely read a lot of her when I was writing the book and um, <laughs> there's there's quotes at the beginning of most of the chapters of my book and I had to really, really, like, be quite heart-struck to myself not to include more than one quote from her, <laughs> from her about, um, about, you know, the different... I, th I found it really interesting, the differences between, like, um, shame and, and guilt and embarrassment you know like embarrassment being a fleeting thing but there's a kind of a sense of community because other people have been there before um, and, and shame being kind of about something that you are um, and guilt being something more something that you've done I mean it's probably an oversimplification um, um, funnily enough I think I, f I feel like I've always felt a lot of guilt um, I think I've felt guilt more than shame to be honest um since um yeah I think I think because when I when I came out to my parents and they did not take that well at all I was 19 and but it just so happened that at the same time I'd also been through like a year long or so journey of um exploring of of coming out to myself and then coming out to my friends and going to like a coming out group and and kind of gone through this like year where I'd like gained so much um knowledge about myself Self and felt really powerful and mm -hmm. was in like such a good space that that when it hit up against something completely unexpected because I was outed to them accidentally I outed myself to them <laughs> uh, it was kind of like there was this dichotomy um, of the worst happening but also when the best thing was happening and so I think I didn't really feel a lot of shame there because I think I'd worked through those feelings and I actually felt really proud um and so but then I guess what I felt for was guilt because um as a result of I mean oversimplification but as a result of being gay obviously it's not my problem for being gay it's their problem um but as a result of it you know our family was never never the same you know and mm. um and so I think I felt a lot of guilt about being kind of the um the thing about about my sexuality being the thing that kind of exploited the family um and and then um I think when the book came out um I felt more guilt because it was an act of choice you know it was an act of choice to publish the book against mm -hmm. their wishes and against what I knew would be good for them and I knew that it would horrify them um but I think also again to kind of prepare for that I'd been doing I've been going to therapy properly for the first time and kind of done a lot of exploring that made me realize um that there was a lot going on there was a dynamic in my family that had existed before I came out you know that mm -hmm. was around a lack of vulnerability you know mm -hmm. we, we, there was there was an emotional um shallowness 
that my that my parents had in their relationship with themselves and each other that meant we never had tough conversations in my family. They were always so scared of of conflict and of tough conversations and 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 being vulnerable. Um, and so I, I realized that that was actually what had driven a lot of my family dynamic, not just my coming out, um, and that it probably would have happened. I could have ended up in this position with them if I had been straight, you know, but it possibly would have been harder because I would have had to actively make the decision to pull away from them as opposed yeah, yeah. to having that choice taken away from me. Um, but I think because of because of that period of intense, like, learning about myself that coming out sometimes evokes some people which I guess is why again I think coming out is such an important thing and it doesn't have to be an external thing but it's usually an internal thing of acceptance um I think because I've been through that period um that required vulnerability and bravery and putting myself out there I could see how important it was to be vulnerable you know and the rewards that I'd had of self-actualization and new friends and learning new things all came from being vulnerable. So, um, yeah, I guess my, my, my takeaway, my, my snippet that I would give is that there will always be people who don't get it. You know, there will always be people who don't get who you are or what you're trying to do or what you're trying to say. And then people, um, people who, who don't, so people who do and people who don't. Um, and, I just don't think that that can stop you from being vulnerable because I think that's the only way we can achieve honesty with ourselves and, and with like creating authentic connections with other people. Mm. Yeah. So I'm just really <laughs> sitting in that because I There's really resonate with, <laughs> I really resonate with, with everything that you said. And um, I think a lot of people will hear that and be like, oh my gosh, yes. Um, and there is this, this this fear about accessing that vulnerability, but the the magic and the growth and the acceptance on the other side, if you're brave enough to make that leap, is just so great. And mm. I think maybe this is a generational thing because um, I feel like if I tried to have this conversation with my parents about vulnerability, it just it no, just really yeah. wouldn't be a thing and it's not something that I blame them for I mean considering what they've gone through and and, mm. and the, all the culture stuff and you know everything in the background it's it's not the onus is put on them but I think I can definitely see the difference between my parents myself and even my younger siblings the way that we're mm. we're brave enough to even just kind of take that that first that first step um yeah yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, yeah, there's there's a whole, yeah, generational differences are huge. Eh? And I think there's so much feeding into it, though. You know, there's there's things like, you know, people at our grandparents' age going through wars, for example, and what they did to culture. And, um, you know, and there's there's the growing growing importance of having people or people thinking therapy is important <laughs> and, getting, and getting therapy. And then I think there's also things like, um, you know, the generation – like I'm a, a millennial, but you know my step kid is fifteen. So and and they have so much more language. Even just having the language around things, around mental illness, around all kinds of things, gender. Um, I think that um, gives them the ability to be able to talk about these things more as well. Mm, yeah, there was another thing that came up when I was reading your book. I was like, I felt like I was being transported back to the 
we're back to that time and I was like oh my gosh we really didn't have that language or like that collective understanding at that stage eh? we've there's still a long way to go but we have come such a long way and um we, we have come such a long way but yeah yeah I kind of your- I kind of think of the book as like a it's almost like a, a queer history text because it captures like a lot of it is centered around 2004 and I feel like those 2000s years are quite blurry in terms of how we think about decades but it's kind of quite easy to forget that that's a time when everyone was saying oh that's so gay about everything and probably I know that you know some people still said said it today but it was also being queer was kind of at a point where it was um accepted in some cases tolerated but it certainly wasn't celebrated you know the way it is now um we didn't have civil unions or marriage equality not that those things you know that's just external validation but it was a different time um and like I remember the first time someone said the word bisexual to me when I was 15 and I and I was like oh she said so my a, a girl on my hockey team said oh see that girl over there she's bisexual and I thought to myself oh my gosh she doesn't look like she used to be a man it was just <laughs> like ridiculous but I had no idea I've never heard the word bisexual before I'd never you know it was just like there was no language and yeah it was it was dark and, times. Even, <laughs> and actually even your response to the word bisexual makes me think even back then the distinction between like gender identity and sexual identity yeah. were just really not oh, made yeah. clear as well oh my god but you know what it's still the case I, I'm working on a, a job in my copywriting career with a big corporate at the moment and they there's a question that is coming up that they have to ask their clients that which is that they would need to know their sex at birth or like underwriting reasons and I've been trying to get them to use language and and honestly the amount of times I've had to tell them they go the gender question or the sex question I'm like sex and gender are two different things we're asking two different things here it's just like they are using them interchangeably and then I can see that some people they're really trying hard to use it correctly and they're kind of you can kind of feel their panic over like the zoom call because they're worried they're going to use it wrong and I'm like you know what it's okay if you use it wrong and learn from it or correct it it's just when you just blithely are kind of like interchangeably throwing around like sex and gender I'm like oh my god how can we still not have this one down (laughs) (laughs) come on guys it's 2022 guys we've been talking about this for decades you know oh my gosh yeah you're so right about the mistake thing too it's like it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from it like that's where the learning always lies but yeah the fear of making mistakes really holds people back um I feel like we've kind of been inching towards this question talking about vulnerability and coming out and compassion and empathy and stuff um and just this is me being quite selfish in this moment too (laughs) just I really want to ask you about this because um I mean I don't want to get into details but I've also had a really well, there have been some life decisions that my parents haven't approved and we're in a much better place now. But um, in that period, I really had to learn how to love myself and still live my authentic life without the love and approval um, of my parents. And mm. I, I would love to hear from you, you know, what takeaways or lessons you've learned about self-love and, you know, how to deal with that that loss and that grief and the changing of the nature of your relationship. Mm. Yeah, that's a really hard one. I feel like 
it's it happens with a lot of people with their relationships mm. with their parents um for various reasons um yeah it's i don't i don't know if there's an easy way to get through it and i don't know if there's an easy answer like i think um it just takes i, I think for one surround yourself by people that get you you know and surround yourself that, by, with people that you know understand you and support you um I guess for me it was I come from kind of a fairly extreme situation where that was just like it was, all of a sudden it, it happened and I was kind of torn apart from them and that was that was kind of the end of things and I don't recommend that um but I think um and as I said before I was also going through a time of of coming into my own kind of power and identity so I I guess I would just say like um focus on the things that that make you happy um mm. I think um and because that they actually do bring you joy um I think there's a long kind of unlearning that happens of the modes of being that uh, we learn from our parents or the dynamic that's in our families um and I think when you start trying to be different from that like for me you know um you know as I've mentioned my parents we didn't talk about hard things and so when I started like having like emotional friendships with friends I just couldn't understand that and so they would, would criticize it a lot um but I th think yeah you just have to sometimes you just have to understand like I think setting boundaries can be quite important with your with your parents and learning that as the child it can be really hard to set boundaries because your parents sometimes a lot of us grow up with like you know what your parents say goes or you have to respect your parents but your parents should also be respecting you as well like it goes both ways and so I think it's okay to set boundaries with them if if the way they're behaving doesn't work for you or you don't want to see them or you don't want to talk to them or you only want to talk to them once a month like um I think learning that you don't actually have to do things the way you think you do um is really powerful and a lot of people still come up to me and go oh but your mum will come around or do you think you'll surely you know they'll come around as they get older I'm like they won't come around but that's that's okay and that's not important to me anymore you know what's actually important to me is my friendships and being true to myself so I think people have expectations that you have to repair relationships but you don't actually have to you know you actually have no yeah, there's no necessity about repairing relationships that don't work for you as hard as that sounds. Other times you do, you you make a decision. You go, I'm going to compromise myself in some way to keep that relationship. But then sometimes that becomes untenable, um, which is what happened with me. Like I, I rebuilt a shaky relationship with them and then there was a point where I was like, this actually isn't working for me. So it has to go. Mm. and it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to say like it's hard to and probably hard to hear that you might just actually have to cut some people loose it's hard truth even hearing that I'm like oh yes yep there's yep there are some <laughs> things that I also have had to learn how to do but it's so not easy but is it worth it yes yeah yeah <laughs> I mean we do it, we do it with friends sometimes and that's hard but when it's like a, a relationship that is super um validated and place a lot of importance placed on it by society like a family relationship it's really even harder to do but um you know if you have to do it you have to do it and you're certainly not alone absolutely and I think I mean it, that feeling of 
being your true self coming at the cost of maybe not having some people in your life in the exact same way as they were before that is a very human experience but to still to be able to be like this is what's important to me I am going to draw the lines here this is what my boundaries look like that's when you really you grow the fuck up <laughs> that's, when the, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. when the maturity comes from it's, yeah yeah it's yeah. so hard to hear um but thank you so much for being so vulnerable just then because I know that was a really really hard question and um I wish I could keep talking to you forever and ever and there's so many <laughs> more questions um that I would like to go through for you but maybe let's end on a light and positive okay. note and that is what advice do you have to anyone who is questioning who they are um and not sure of their place in the world and not necessarily in regards to sexuality but just in general any advice to anyone who is questioning who they are and not sure of their place in the world and mm. check that peak that otago reference <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 okay i want to sing the song now it was a terrible terrible song it was a tv ad by the way if you don't know what we're talking about it was a bad bad tv ad um yeah i, I guess kind of what what i just said is that you know you just it's 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 not an easy road to be yourself it's not an easy road to be happy with yourself and to claim the life that you want and the self that you like don't expect it to be easy and you do have to make hard decisions go through hard times emotionally but I really think that there's no greater reward than going than like reaching this sounds so cheesy but reaching your authentic self and living the way you want to um so I, I just think prepare that it might be hard you just actually might have to have a hard time for a while but you know find the people who get you find a community like even one friend can make a huge difference and um just like fuck all the haters like sorry I don't know if I can swear but you know like like for, for the people that don't get you like who you know just you they don't actually need to have a part of your life like it's your choice mm. yeah if on the back of that empowering advice if you could go back to 2004 2003 um and have a chat with younger Lil what would you do or what would you say mm. gosh that's so hard I would say don't worry, broadband is coming. And there's a lot more queer TV shows. You're not going to have to spend hours downloading the L word by dial-up. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would change any the way I did anything. And um, I think I had to go through the the lessons that I learned and the hard things. Maybe I would tell, maybe I would say get therapy a bit earlier. <laughs> maybe that's what I'd say. <laughs> Amen. Thank you so much, um, Lil, for hanging out with me and being so vulnerable and real. Um, I think all the things that you have said have been so in insightful and, and healing and speaks so much to not only just the queer experience, but the human experience. So thank, thank you. you had so a lot much. of fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.